0: outer space isn't as real as inner space. So in other words, the next frontier for humanity is exploring the train of our own imagination. And this ties back to psychedelics because psychedelics are the perfect kind of framework of exploring the depth of our consciousness seems like we're accelerating beyond our reliance on the purely physical form and it's possible that humanity is going to be graduating from 3d reality and embracing a more cosmic consciousness some people call that 5d hello everyone welcome
1: to the modern psychedelics podcast Where our intention is to bring heart and intuition to the foreground of psychedelics. I'm your host, Lana.
2: And I'm your host, Zoe. Together, we are going to be taking a journey each week, introducing you to some of the greatest minds in plant medicine and psychedelics.
1: Sure to ignite awarenesses and rememberings of divine ancient wisdom as we integrate psychedelics into modern life.
2: So, let's journey. All right, everyone. Today on the show, we have James McCrae, author, artist, and poet, and so much more. James, we would love it if you could take a moment to introduce yourself, tell our audience more about you, your journey, and perhaps maybe a little bit of how psychedelics have made their way in there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you all today so basically i'm a kind of a lifelong artist and creative and writer and poet you know i, I look at creativity as very much a multidisciplinary practice so I, I like to express myself in various ways that's always been both through visual content as well as written content And a lot of people might know me for my Instagram page, Words Are Vibrations. And that's been a good outlet for me because it's been a place where I can really combine my love for writing and art together into essentially making memes and making, you know, sharing, you know, some writing with a visual component because Instagram's, you know, so good at at, at doing that. So, um, and I, one thing I've, you know, really been, um, doing as of late is, is teaching creativity. Uh, I founded a creativity school called recreation studio where I run courses and classes around creativity, the creative process, tapping into intuition tapping into inspiration and imagination, and ultimately developing techniques to bring those insights to life through the creative process. So that's a little bit about my background. And in terms of the role psychedelics have played, well, like I said, I've been an artist and a creative pretty much my whole life and a, a a big chunk of that was working in the advertising industry in New York City so i was working as a brand strategist on Madison Avenue working with some pretty b- big brands on kind of creative direction and strategy and it was a very creative job but working in New York city and working in the advertising industry specifically, it's a very kind of demanding and stressful process. And it's very, it's very, um, reliant on masculine energy. In other words, productivity and deadlines. And I was being creative, but I was, not working from a place of depth and intuition. It was kind of go, go, go. And you really can't pour from an empty cup unless you're really tapping into the yin, which is, you know, the feminine energy that balances the masculine energy. Unless you're also tapping into that, you're going to run out of steam and i i found myself overworked, overstressed, burnt out and really just had a series of breakdowns and one thing about living in new york city is that there's so much external pressure and stress on you at all times and unless you that'll 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 you can get carried away in that unless you also find an equal balance within yourself and kind of that depth within yourself and that inner peace and that inner stillness and that inner guidance to balance out all that external energy. So for me, that looked like learning meditation, developing a meditation practice. I, I, Started practicing Kundalini yoga and went through a teacher training program uh, in the Kundalini tradition, and that also uh, that also meant exploring plant medicines. You know, I gr- I grew up in a small town in, in Minnesota. There wasn't a lot of psychedelics around when I was growing up, but I was introduced to them in New York City. And similar to meditation and yoga, psychedelics gave me an opportunity to tap into a depth within myself that I needed to balance out, you know, all the external demands I was facing at the time. And it really opened up, uh, you know, just a deeper level of consciousness and creativity within myself And that's really when I started to pivot from working in advertising and that go, 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 demanding, you know, day to day to creating art again. And that's when I started writing books. And I've published two books since then and started writing poetry again and making memes. So it was really exploring mindfulness and consciousness. And that includes through a relationship with plant medicine that has really given me a deeper depth within my own creative process. So that's a bit of a summary.
1: Thank you, James, for sharing everything. So I'm curious, can we dive a little bit deeper into your experiences with psychedelics um, you know, like how have they impacted your art and your writing and, you know, how have they really helped to shape James as a person?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot about the creative process and the role of chemicals and substances and there's a different place and purpose for all things, right? So what's the pl- uh, the place and purpose of psychedelics? Well, it's not necessarily one where you would use psychedelics to fuel the creative process. So in other words, i have never nor would i recommend, you know, taking psychedelics and then making art or writing, you know, w- w- while under the influence. Because you know, there are there are other substances that that can help with that. You know, even whether it's even coffee or In some cases, cannabis or in some cases, even alcohol can help kind of, you know, just fuel the actual creation of art. For me, psychedelics are much more of, they're much more useful in in what, what I call preparing the soil or cultivating the soil. Because I think of creativity a lot like growing a garden And there's a whole process that goes into it. You need to, you know, plant the seeds and make sure you have healthy soil. And what that means is having a relationship with your own intuition and knowing how to access your imagination, you know, and and it takes really healthy The soil of your consciousness, the quality of that soil depends on what ideas are going to grow in that garden, you know, and then, and then the actual creative process is the art of, you know, growing those plants and then harvesting them and then eventually preparing a meal out of them. That's kind of the execution of the creative process. But for me, psychedelics really helped to cultivate the soil. So, in other words, opening up a depth with a depth within myself that was more that was beyond what the, e- the ego was capable of reaching. Right. So, I think of creative the creative process as you could compare it to fishing. So, you're casting you're casting your line into a body of water, right? And if you're just operating on the ego level, the kind of the conscious mind level, it's kind of like casting your line into a very shallow pond. But I think that we all have access to a level of consciousness that goes much, much deeper. And, you know, I think that we're all, when it, when it goes into, The conversation of consciousness, I think that we're only beginning to scratch the surface on what is there. You know, I think that on a, on a, on a subconscious level, we're all, we're all connected, we're all connected to source. You know, our intuition is kind of the umbilical cord that connects us back to source. And that's where, you know, psychic abilities come from is, is this kind of ability to to tap into an intelligence that's beyond the ego. So for me, psychedelics have really helped to help familiarize myself with that territory. And it's kind of cultivated a, a certain stillness within my own mind. And it's instead of casting a line into a, shallow pond you're casting your line into a deep ocean where you can access ideas and inspiration that's much greater than the kind of the surface ego is capable of finding
2: thank you for sharing james and i really appreciate those visuals as you were speaking i mean we could definitely tell that you are such such an incredible poet and an artist but those visuals are so so powerful so thank you for sharing that I have a question for you about um, the soil of your consciousness. As you were describing that, I just felt like that was such a beautiful way to, yeah, to just paint this picture for us. I wanted to know for you personally, what do you feel keeps the soil of your consciousness healthy? Like, what are those personal integration practices or embodiment practices that just keep you nurturing yourself as you do the inner work?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think that everything that everything that everything we consume affects us and if it affects our our minds and our ability to, you know, create because, you know, what 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 comes in affects what what goes out. So it's it, it, just like planting soil, you want to make sure you're watering it with good water. It's getting sunlight. If you're pouring Coca-Cola into the soil, probably a bad idea, right? So it's similar in our own soil of consciousness, right? So think of all the different inputs that we, that we consume on a daily basis. There's diet. You know, w- what we consume literally that affects what comes out, you know. If we're if we're eating tons of sugar and eating processed foods, that's gonna cloud the channel of intuition. The same with mental inputs. If you're watching a bunch of bad TV and you know, watching mainstream media and you're getting these constant alerts and threats and you know you're you're feeding your mind junk food those are those are other inputs that you need to be careful of consuming so on the flip side it's about well how can you consume healthy you know inputs so for me that means immersing myself in art you know listening to beautiful music and inspiring music as much as possible you know, eating healthy, getting exercise and, you know, consuming the type of chemicals that are also going to be beneficial to that process. You know, I drink caffeine, but being mindful about my intake and how much I'm drinking and the same with alcohol. So it's just, you know, it's about finding the right balance for yourself. And, you know, I think that, You know, personally, psychedelics have helped to, um, you know, especially bring my awareness to, you know, a lot of this and, 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 and bring my awareness to how much what we consume affects our consciousness. Because, as you know, you know, psychedelics, no matter what it is, you see that how just a small amount of something can drastically affect your experience of reality so that's true in all things you know what we consume even if it's small really does shape our experience of reality so it's just it's just important to be very mindful about what we consume and to have a healthy diet which includes you know the mental diet and the emotional diet and the physical diet and all of these things just to help, you know, balance the ecosystem of our own
1: consciousness. Love that. Love that. And we need a healthy diet of memes too, which we'll definitely talk about later on. Um, so as we're on this topic of your experiences with psychedelics, can you maybe share with us um, a story of one of your most memorable and profound experiences with um, psychedelics and like what you've learned?
0: Sure. So we'll we'll go through a, a couple here. So my first, <clears throat> my first experience was in New York city, taking psilocybin in central park. <laughs> and after that, I, t- um, me and my girlfriend at the time, we took a trip to, the battle of Gettysburg in Pennsylvania, because we both had this interest in the civil war and she surprised me. And we ended up taking LSD on the Gettysburg battlefield. So that was another pretty interesting experience, but in terms of the most meaningful impactful, the one that comes to mind is when I went to Peru to work with a shaman with um ayahuasca and that was more that was the most profound because first of all you're in a a really sacred container and you're it's not like a one night thing you're kind of you're there for a week or 10 days so there's so much more time to integrate and even, you know, the morning after a ceremony, you're still in that space because you're still with that same group and you're meeting to talk about the experience with that group. And I think that that's one thing that is lacking in a lot of experiences, you know, in, in the developed world is those safe containers for integration. And one thing that we were doing every day is uh, practicing Qigong as an integration practice and to kind of help us, you know, return to our bodies. And it was actually really profound because it was the third night drinking ayahuasca during this visit and the shaman actually, in the middle of the ceremony, so you're kind of, you know, in the throes of it and, you know, you're in some other dimension. But the shaman brought us back to our bodies by directing some very simple Qigong. Um, it wasn't even movements or exercises, it was a, more about bringing our mind back to the body. And that was a really interesting and profound experience because instead of kind of letting the mind, you know, float away, bringing it back to the body into the present moment helped to really ground that experience, which sort of made it more beautiful and more real. And the big takeaway I remember during that night was, it was actually, I was having some pretty crazy experiences about, you know, because as you know, the, 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 the psychedelic experience isn't always the most, pleasant or fun you know there there are always moments of, of discomfort and I was having one of those moments of discomfort and it was sort of I sort of felt like a like a spiritual battle happening all around me and what I recognized it as was okay humanity has been at war for thousands of years and I and I recognized how that the trauma of warfare over all of my ancestors and how I was still carrying that trauma and you know as part of that you know the the, the male the male lineage of you know having a a father who fought in a war and a grandfather that fought in a war And who knows how far back that goes where my ancestors were um, subject to literally fighting in wars and how I was holding their trauma in my body as a result. So that was a very uncomfortable experience. And it was kind of a, a, a very funny and a very profound realization and it came to me so i'm i i love music and i love music of all of all types and one of my favorite artists is david bowie and david bowie and, you know, aside from being a rock star he was a he was a mystic in his own right and he you know he was in touch with you know the occult and with you know a, a esoteric spirituality and it was so funny and perfect that in the, in the depths of this kind of traumatic internal experience I was having, David Bowie shows up with a message and he told me in his typical Bowie flair that it was safe for me to become somebody else. And this was, anyone who knows anything about David Bowie, he was always reinventing himself. He was constantly shape-shifting and creating new characters. And he was always in the process of becoming somebody new. And that's the message he had for me was just because I was part of this lineage of, you know, people who had fought in battles, I, I didn't have to hold on to that trauma. It wasn't mine to, to keep, I, I had permission and freedom to become somebody new and I could just let it go and be free essentially. And that was, uh, and, and then, and then as soon as that happened, the whole experience just, it kind of just eased into a beautiful surrender and you know, I, I do. I remember being just guided by the shaman's music, which is a very essential element of the ayahuasca ceremony. And for the rest of the night, it was just beautiful and poetic. And um, going into that surrender. So that's 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 what comes to mind when it comes to the most profound experience that I've had in terms of you know learning a lesson that is stuck with me to this day.
2: Thank you for sharing that, James. I want to ask you, because this was sounds like such a beautiful, profound experience, and um, a lot of people describe their initial experiences with ayahuasca after receiving the call, after surrendering to the medicine and having profound healing experiences, that there's Definitely uh, a line in the sand, life before ayahuasca and life after. So I'm curious, after receiving the call, being curious, following your heart towards this medicine, how did you return home differently?
0: Hmm. Well, looking back, it was probably, uh, there were probably other factors as well, But it was probably the beginning of the end for me, like kind of working in the corporate world. You know, I I continued working in, you know, the advertising industry for several years following that. But I think it helped me get in touch with a more authentic creativity than I was living at the time. So it was, you know, it was shortly after that when I really started to write more poetry. Because like when I was a kid, I wrote poetry all the time. And when I was working in advertising, I, I didn't, not, I didn't have the space for it. Inclu- like, and that includes the time and just the emotional energy. So I think it kind of cracked me open in terms of, letting that inner child out and it, you know, it it didn't happen overnight. I continued working in advertising for a while, but I slowly started to write more poetry and to, and to make more art. And, And that eventually led me to making memes. And, you know, my, my, my most recent book that came out is a collection of poetry and memes. So it's kind of returned to the inner child and to the inner artist and to not take life as seriously as maybe I did in the past and to let myself be a little more at ease and to let myself be an artist. And it, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but that's kind of the gradual Effects, and I definitely think that that ayahuasca experience was 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 one of the catalysts that kind of set that process in motion.
1: I love that because it, it just shows that, you know, often people think that an ayahuasca experience or any experience with psychedelics is something that just dramatically changes your life overnight, right away. But what's so interesting about your story is that you can pinpoint. Um, You know, the beginning of the end, which for you was just coming into a more authentic expression of yourself as an artist and slowly transitioning out of your career, which is typically how it shows up more often than not. It's very rarely just this overnight change. So I love that. Thanks for sharing. Um, So you love Terrence McKenna.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, he's one of my favorite um Kind of guides and teachers in life.
1: Yes, yes, I could, I can tell from your, from just, you post a lot about him. Um, So yeah, for anyone not listening, for anyone listening that isn't sure he was just like a very visionary thought leader in the space of psychedelics particularly. But James, I want to ask you what have been, you know, some of the biggest lessons and insights that you have gotten from Terrence McKenna?
0: Yeah. Well, he was really a pioneer in a lot of ways. So, you know, in the, in the early seventies, it was very in vogue to seek out a spiritual path by going to India and studying with the yogis and, you know, meeting, you know, the Maharishi and, you know, following Ram Dass and all that, that was where a lot of the momentum was going. And Terrence did that as well. He went to India in the early 70s and he didn't like it. He saw a lot of performative yogis and he didn't buy into the guru culture that was in India. So he instead continued his spiritual quest by going to South America which was not in vogue at the time. And he went in search of ayahuasca and other, you know, things that our household, you know, names today, most people in America today have heard of ayahuasca, but in, in the seventies, that wasn't the case. So he really was a pioneer in terms of not only ayahuasca and psilocybin, but also introducing us to, you know, the indigenous cultures of South, of South America and Mexico and, you know, a lot of the the ancient Mayan wisdom, you know, in, including the, you know, people don't know the, the, the whole meme of the world is going to end in 2020, in 2012. That was, and, and that was, you know, marked by the Mayan calendar it was actually Terrence McKenna who did the research on the mind calendar to identify that that's when it ends. And he's, he's the one that brought that into public consciousness. And well, it's funny because, you know, people are like, well, the world didn't end in 2012. We're we're still here, but you know, I, I, I know a lot of people, including myself that whose lives changed dramatically, you know, around that time. And if we look at the world today and we look at the world before 2012, it does look very different. So, you know, the the world didn't literally end in 2012, but could it have been the marker of the end of one age and the beginning of another age? And I think that's possible. And some people think that might be the beginning of the age of Aquarius, for example, or we're kind of still on that cusp of entering the age of Aquarius. But I think it's interesting to consider if, you know, maybe the world did end, but it was more just a transition because just like, you know, that the lessons you learn from ayahuasca don't happen all overnight, it takes time for them to integrate. Perhaps that's similar with, you know, the changing of the, you know, ages throughout history. So I think that's interesting. So I've learned a lot from Terrence and, you know, first and foremost is just how to be a good speaker because, you know, I recommend anyone, people ask me what Terrence McKenna book they should read. And it's like, I don't think you should read any of his books. I think you should go on YouTube and listen to his lectures because I've never, I've never heard a more skilled linguist in terms of, you can ask him one question and he can go on and on for hours with the most interesting you know, phrases and the most interesting, you know, way of speaking. So he was very intelligent and a very, very skilled with words and language. So I I learned a lot from him regarding that. And another thing is, you know, making sense of the world today, because like I said, the world is very different these days and it's accelerated in, in a lot of ways. And it can be uncomfortable because there's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now. And one thing that McKenna talked a lot about was how this was a natural process of acceleration that the world has been going through for thousands of years, millions of years. So if you look at the world today, there's more happening in terms of activity And content and information. There's more happening in one day today than happened over the course of a million years, a billion years ago. Right? So, in other words, we have been on a slow and steady acceleration as a civilization and as a planet for millions of years. And that's starting to come to a head where it's like things are happening. So quickly and things are changing so fast and technology is accelerating so quickly that we're reaching almost a tipping point where the novelty is increasing beyond our capacity to keep up with it. And that can be scary, but, you know, Terrence talked about how this was a natural process And and one of the things he said was this is what it's like when a species prepares to depart for the stars. So you could take that a lot of ways. You know, are we are we literally gonna start, you know, are we gonna depart for the stars and become an interplanetary species and and live in outer space? Maybe. McKenna theorized that we're actually departing for the stars is actually. You know, outer space isn't as real as inner space. So in other words, the next frontier for humanity is exploring the terrain of our own imagination. And this ties back to psychedelics, because psychedelics are the perfect kind of framework of exploring the depth of our consciousness and the and 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 the depth of our imagination so are we moving to a space and this is kind of gets even into you know the what the metaverse is and what the future of technology is going to look like but it seems like we're accelerating beyond our reliance on the purely physical form and it's possible that humanity is going to be graduating from 3D reality and embracing a more cosmic consciousness. Some people call that 5D. Some people, you know, you you could call it the psychedelic realm, you know, and I think even things like the metaverse, which is the kind of this technological development, I kind of think this is all related. And it, it's it's all part of our progression and evolution as a, as a, as a species. So all of the change does feel scary, but that's one of the main things I learned from 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 McKenna was that this is kind of a natural process, and you know all change can be a little a little scary, but ultimately it is natural and, and it's kind of taking us to the, the next stage of our own evolution.
2: Thank you, James. And you do such a good job of infusing that fun and playful energy into more serious times or in, and into the perhaps darkness or depths that people may feel when they are going through their own awakenings, their own accelerations. So I was wondering how, or what would you recommend for people to keep the serious times playful and fun? How can people connect more with their inner child and their creativity?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, just creativity, you know, and making space for creativity, because I think that People, people tend to think that creativity is something that is reserved for like a privileged class of artists and there's, and, and there's no usefulness for creativity beyond that. But I think that creativity is our birthright and our natural state of being, right? Because when you think about it, you know, our very, bodies are animated by the life force of creation you know we are inherently creative beings our bodies in a perpetual state of recreating itself our cells are new cells are being born every day so we're, we're, we're kind of in a state of perpetual bloom and it's only natural for us to express that creatively so I just think it's so important to have creative practices in your life. That doesn't mean you need to be an artist, it just means tapping into that innate creativity and that inner child, right? And that could be anything. That that could mean having a creative approach to how you do your to how you do your job. It could mean you know, everything is an act of creation. Our relationships are something that we create. Our our career is something that we create. Our home environment is something that we create. So it's like instead of creating by default and through reaction, how can we create consciously and apply creativity to everything we do and to make our life itself a work of art? And I think, I really do think that creativity is the antidote to fear because creativity is inherently playful and it helps us see that, you know, everything is just a game and we are kind of making it up as we go along. And that's very empowering. So, I just encourage everyone to find a creative outlet, no, no matter what it is. It's it's going to reward your entire life. It doesn't you don't have to you know have paintings displayed in a gallery uh, to be creative? It's just, it's it's just it's part of what the human experience wants to do, and it'll it'll end up opening so many other avenues in your life that you don't even know about yet.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. And it's it's so great how you've been able to turn this process of waking up um, into something that is so fun and playful and creative because it can be a really scary place to be when you start waking up and, you know, your reality starts to shatter and, you know, things kind of get flipped upside down. And, you know, this awakening process is something that you, you seem to speak a lot about whether through you know your captions or just your memes and I'm just curious like how have you been able to get to this place where you can approach it with just so much lightheartedness? because it it can really feel so heavy
0: yeah you know I think I, I just think I think first of all I think like comedy is so important like we need to make fun of ourselves we need to make fun of, you know, waking up, you know, I think there's such a, the, the, the role of the jester or the trickster is such an important sacred role. You know, we, we, we build up so much pressure in our lives and in our society and comedians and tricksters and jesters, they kind of uh, release the pressure valve to kind of, you know, let out some of that steam that, Brings the pressure down a little bit. So I think it's super important to approach things with humor and lightheartedness. And especially, you know, when you consider, you know, what's at stake. In other words, you know, spoiler spoiler alert, we're all going, our lives are all of our lives are going to end. We're here for a limited amount of time. So the experience we have to choose in that limited amount of time is up to us. But if everything is going to end and this is all temporary, why are we taking it so seriously? Why are we, you know, putting a burden on the limited amount of time we do have in this lifetime? I just think there's so much value in, in seeing the great cosmic joke of existence. Because, yeah, this world that we live in, well, in one, in one way, it is, it is perfect. But in terms of the structures that we've built up, that we kind of are subject to in a lot of ways, it's very far from perfect. I, I just think there's a lot of value in not taking any of it too seriously. You know, even if we're unhappy, you know, understanding that this is just an emotion that's passing through us and just like the weather, it's going to change and to not allow ourselves to take anything too seriously, but to give ourselves permission to laugh at the great cosmic joke because we are living inside of eternity. You know, whether we, whether we realize it or not, you know, this lifetime is a, a blip within eternity. So, you know, why are we taking any one little thing too seriously? And when we start to laugh at ourselves and laugh at the experience of being human, it just helps to alleviate that pressure so we can actually enjoy our time here even more.
2: Thank you, James. There's definitely notes of that those lessons from David Bowie, as you're speaking about reinvention and don't take it so seriously. We're here to evolve. We're here to change. We're here to follow whatever lights us up inside. Um, and with that, I want to ask you: Why do you think that we're all here? Or what's your understanding of the Matrix and the human experience?
0: Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think it's for me. I don't. I think it's important not to, not to even convince ourselves that we definitively have any answers or know things with certainty. You know, I think that I'm completely open to any possibility and I don't hold any beliefs with too much, you know, too tightly or with too much dogma or certainty. So I, I, I try to avoid certainty as much as possible and that's, that's a spiritual practice unto itself is living in a state of constant uncertainty because that can be terrifying. But I think certainty is often a trap because, you know, humans are very intelligent in one way, but at the same time, human intelligence is not capable of understanding the great mystery of it all. Right. So I, I don't try to figure it out. I don't try to have the answers because i know that the tr- the true nature of reality is beyond human comprehension so we can't know it right but i think we can kind of feel it we can kind of navigate around it and we can look at you know the great teachings of the great spiritual minds throughout history to kind of help be our compass so you know it does seem like you know. We'll take um, the old Vedic belief of Brahman and Maya, for example. Brahman is kind of the eternal world of energy, and that's 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 the real world. It's this kind of eternal spiritual realm that you can't see with the physical eyes. You can't touch it with the hand, but it's true reality. And Maya is the physical 3d world. And this is just an illusion. It's an illusion that's being perpetuated by our five senses. So we, we experience it as being real, but in truth, it's just an illusion. And, there's a deeper spiritual reality that's pure energy, and that is the true reality. So anything that happens here, it's not real. That doesn't mean we don't care about it. We're, we're here for a purpose to, to experience this, and we need to kind of you know take it somewhat seriously in terms of we came here to experience this. But I, I, almost, I almost see it as watching a movie where we're in this movie and we're experiencing it but the movie's going to end and we're going to go back home and for us as humans going back home means returning to that source consciousness the brahman which is the energy which connects all things which is eternal and it's you know it's it's love it's it's the fabric of reality that ties it all together we all return to that, but we're here to temporarily experience the limitations of the five senses in three d reality and It's very similar to you go to a theater and you watch a movie, and for two hours you're immersed in a in a fake reality, and there's ups and downs, and you might fear feel some suspense or you know you might feel fear for the characters. But at the end of the day, you're going to return home. And I think we all eventually return home. And, you know, at, at a certain point, whether we choose to or it's based on karma, I don't know, but we seem to, you know, come back here again and again in different forms and always, you know, returning back home to, you know, the great mystery that is beyond the five senses.
1: Ooh, that is such a good metaphor you You really painted that so well, and you know with with the understanding that it is all an illusion, it is so much easier than to approach this life with that light hearted fun that you really embody with your work james um yeah, i just I love the way that you put that, and you know you said you don't really have to know why we're here; you don't have to know the greater truths, you can just feel them. I really love that. So thank you. Um, I really want to talk about the celestial realms and aliens with you. So I'm going to shift into that. Tell us about your experiences and your understanding of the celestial realms and how you kind of got into that world.
0: You know, to be honest, I don't have a lot of experience with the celestial realms. I'm very much, you know, I experience a lot through, you know, imagination and uh, you know my own creative process. Even when I'm on, even when I'm doing psychedelics, you know, I, I know I describe some, you know, kind of intense intense visions. I'm always very grounded in the here and now, you know, I'm almost grounded to a, to a fault where I, I don't have, um, you know, any kind of, you know, clairvoyant abilities to kind of, you know, know my spirit guides or tap into, you know, celestial realms or, you know, read the Akashic records or, you know, you know see angels or you know even see aliens i'm i'm always very grounded in the kind of present moment and i would i would love to experience that but i haven't experienced a lot of it i do have some you know thoughts on aliens i've never you know seen anything supernatural i've never you know experienced any you know, aliens per se, but, and, and and this is partially informed by Terrence McKenna himself, where is it possible that, and, and I, and I kind of mentioned this world of the imagination or this world of even this, this, the psychedelic realm, you know, what, what is that realm? You know, we haven't, we haven't invested any, 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 you know, Research or science into exploring, you know, the, the the psychedelic realm or the imaginal realm. And one thing McKenna theorized that I I tend to like this idea. And again, what if inner space is more real than outer space? So, in other words, when there when there are UFOs and aliens and and things like that, which I definitely do believe exist, is it possible that these are not spaceships that are coming from millions of miles away through physical space to arrive here in a, in a, in a, in a metal ship, right? Is it possible that these are interdimensional travelers that arrive here by shifting into this dimension? So, so space is an illusion, just like time is an illusion everything exists in a matter of kind of spiritual dimensions. And I guess that this is, I guess, you know, 3d, you know, the third dimension and there are other dimensions as well. So you could theorize that, you know, just uh, for pretend, you know, let's say that there are 12th dimensional, we call them aliens, right? But they're just beings for all we know. They're, they're ourselves in the 12th dimension, right? And they, it's just another version of ourselves in another dimension. We're not separated by space because space is an illusion. We're not separated by time because time is an illusion. It's just a matter of dimension. So is it possible that things can kind of creep through dimensions and whether that's whether that's Bigfoot or whether that's you know aliens or whether that's other spirits can portals open up? to kind of creep through. So I, I, would like to theorize that, you know, aliens are not coming here from millions of miles away. They're coming here from other dimensions and the way to discover them and to interact with them is not to put satellites out into this into space. It's actually to, to, to explore our own consciousness and to invest in research into psychedelics and imagination and meditation and what is this space we're tapping into when we see things beyond you know our understanding and that includes imagination right perhaps this even includes the internet you know what what exactly is the internet the ability you know what is cyberspace so i'm really interested in the overlap between cyberspace psychedelics and aliens and is it possible that this is all some other unseen realm that we're starting to tap into and just like McKenna talked about this is what it's like when a species prepares to depart for the stars are we already seeing that by the injection of psychedelics into our culture By the invention of the internet, by the disclosure of, you know, UFOs, is this actually an, an expansion of our consciousness into other realms? And this is going to become more and more real until we're actually living in essentially another dimension, which is actually just an evolution of our own consciousness. That was a lot.
2: <laughs> that was great though. That was amazing. That was so mind opening, heart opening. And just to hear your different perspectives, James, it's it's incredible. Thank you for sharing. And I wanna ask you, as we become more of these travelers of consciousness, if if you will, as we go deeper within ourselves and as humanity as a collective awakens. What do you think the future holds if we are to say reach that 5D level of consciousness on a global scale?
0: Well, first and foremost, it means healing a lot of the systems that are currently failing us. You know, I you, you can't have let's just call it we call it a 5D reality. You can't have a 5D reality when you're working within the constraints of 3D systems. So first and foremost it means an evolution of our structures and systems. You know, it means rethinking political systems, it means it means rethinking economic systems. It means rethinking how we relate to each other. And you know, that's a process. Again, things don't happen overnight. So we're, I, I believe that we're seeing the, the decay of a lot of old world structures that are no longer serving us. And that's why it looks like the world is falling apart. But really, it's like these old systems have to break down so we can give birth to the new systems. And these have yet to be created. So it's hard to describe what they're going to look like. But I think it's going to be systems that are more aligned with nature, both our own nature and the nature of the world. And, you know, things based on balance and fairness and an equal integration of the masculine and the feminine. And it, it, it just means an end to a lot of the wars and bickering and fighting and traumas that have been passed down and perpetuated for untold generations. And it means building a new world, you know, people call it the new earth, in, you know, building in, an, in a new Im- image in and in a new vision that's going to support our continued evolution And I've seen so many people step up with ideas and visions of what a new civilization can look like. And me as an artist, I just try to kind of set a vision because I think you need to have a vision before you can start to plan something and then build it. So I try to just plant little seeds with my art and with my memes and with my writing that just show a, glimpse, a glimpse of what, you know, what a better world might look like. And then I think it's going to be uh, up to us collectively to step up and take leadership positions in the construction of the new earth so we can build it together.
1: Ooh, so beautifully said, James, you brought so much solace to my heart as you were speaking, especially during this time where a lot of the 3d systems appear to be crumbling and there's a lot of reorganization of systems happening, and yeah, like I said before, it can be a scary time, and having voices like yours kind of lead the way and guide us through it is just so essential and I'm wondering how do you how do you cope with this, and like what message do you have for people out there listening who you know maybe have had glimpses of the five d um, but they're also, you know, we're living in this 3D reality a lot of the time, a lot, especially when it comes to the systems around us. So, how do you consolidate that within yourself, and you know, have a knowledge of this higher dimension, this higher frequency of being, while still being in the system?
0: Well, the words that comes that come to mind are patience. Surrender and trust. You know, it's, it's similar to the birth process. You know, the birth is a painful process, both for the child and for the mother. You know, there, there's probably, you know, there, there's pain involved. There's, for the baby, it's, it's a complete loss of the world it, it once knew. That's terrifying, but we can see, you know, when we look at a baby being born, we only see the beauty because we're like, oh, this baby has been born into our world. And from the baby's perspective, it's like, where the hell am I? This is terrifying. Like I just left a comfortable, warm place where I was fed and nurtured and taken care of. Now I'm out here in the cold and a doctor's holding me and they're snipping my umbilical cord that's a traumatizing process. So I just think it's important to recognize that we are in a process of our own rebirth. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's a long labor, you know, sometimes there's a lot of pain involved in that. So I think it's so important to have patience and surrender and trust, you know, and, you know, people remind the the mother in labor to continue to breathe and to breathe deeply. So, you know, we all need to, we're, in this analogy, we're both the mother and the baby, right? <laughs> we need to keep breathing deeply and just keep on pushing and have patience and, you know, surrender our need for certainty and to trust the process. And, uh, you know, the more we can just kind of ease into it And allow it to happen. It's going to happen either way. Right. But we need to continue to breathe deeply and to allow that the natural process to happen and to ultimately trust, you know, the cycles of the universe to, you know, to, to play themselves out. Because I think that at at the end of the day, we live in a universe that is governed by love and You know, fear and evil, these are unnatural states. You know, when things are in harmony and things are in balance and things are natural, you know, love is the governing law. So I think it's important to have trust in that and to align ourselves with that love, um, you know, just to help ease uh, this birthing process that we're going through.
2: Thank you, James. It's so beautiful to hear your words and hear your wisdom. And thank you for sharing with us today. One last question from me. I want to hear about your book because it's very clear to us, and I'm sure all of the listeners as well, that you have such a powerful way with words. And so I was wondering if you could tell us more about your book, uh, how that idea came to be, perhaps how long it was in gestation period before it was birthed and what that experience has been like, for you sharing your work with the world.
0: Yeah. So my newest book is it's called how to laugh in ironic amusement during your existential crisis. And it's a book of, it's a collection of poetry and memes. And it's actually the, it's, it's kind of the first book of published memes. Um, so it's kind of a, it's a very visual book. It's a very engaging book um, you know, there's poetry and memes that are kind of intermixed throughout the entire the entire book. And for me, it was a process that began really when the world started to turn upside down in, in 2020 with you know the pandemic. The world was so, and still is so crazy that I started looking for a new language to express how I was feeling and what I was thinking you know, again, I had written poetry a lot as a, as a kid and, and then I hadn't for a long time. And, and suddenly that's just, it started coming back because with, you know, poetry and memes, you can use language with more, just more nuance and subtlety. And you can say, you can say much more than you can say by, you know, giving a lecture or saying this is my point of view you know poetry holds space for multiple perspectives at the same time and in a world where the you know the 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 unifying narrative is just unraveled where we're all living in our own subjective realities i was trying to look for a language that could express so many different points of view at once and for me poetry is the only language that can do that. So it's it's kind of a a book that really addresses head on all of the craziness in the world right now without looking away and that's both you know the pandemic the economy the conspiracy theories you know the aliens you know the great awakening and kind of all of it in a in a, in an artful and humorous way. So it's ultimately a book about Embracing the unknown, um, embracing uncertainty and change, and essentially turning a nervous breakdown into a nervous breakthrough.
1: Mm, So good. I think I need to order that book immediately. What's the name of it, James?
0: How to Laugh in Ironic Amusement During Your Existential Crisis.
1: Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Well timed. So, where can people find you? Is there a way for people to work with you? What do you have going on right now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, through um, through Recreation Studio, I am uh, ho- I'm hosting classes and courses. I actually have a, a, a class coming up on how to make memes. And I'm also working with clients on a kind of creative coaching and consultation basis. And you can kind of find everything through my Instagram. If you go to words are vibrations on Instagram, all one word Um, in the link in my bio, you can order my book, you can listen to my podcast, you can reach out to me uh, with, you know, for uh, for coaching or for you know, to join one of my courses. So you can find all that through my Instagram.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, James.
0: It was my pleasure. This was a lot of fun. I, lo- I love the questions and the conversation. So thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, it's been awesome. And we've got so much beautiful wisdom and quotes. I, I feel like you're gonna, you're gonna light up our Instagram feed. <laughs>
1: I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for listening. Thanks for being here, James. And we'll catch you all in the next episode. Thank you so much for sharing space and growing with us on the Modern Psychedelics podcast today.
2: Come join our community on Instagram at Modern Psychedelics for more expansive content on a daily basis.
1: And if this episode sparked something within, please let us know by leaving a review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify. This really helps to catalyze the psychedelic renaissance.
2: The work begins when you come back down to earth, and we're standing shoulder to shoulder with you doing it.